Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of this, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa, to failing multiple startups, yet learning a whole lot, to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast, from Google executives to Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla, Harvard, Financial Times, and even a priest from the Vatican Church, all are welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Martin Vidal. Martin is the author of The Ambitious Handbook, A Guide for Ambitious Persons, as well as Flower Garden, which is an exploration of the human soul. In addition to writing, Martin is fascinated with the practice and discipline of stock trading. Martin, how are you today? I'm doing great. And you? I'm feeling wonderful, honored, and privileged to have you here. And what I'm curious about, really, is connecting both parts of your life where what lessons from stock trading did you implement into your writing or lessons from your journey as a writer that impacted your stock trading practices? All right. So let me start with how writing has uh, impacted stock trading. Um, To do both well, I think the most important thing I do is read. I spend more time reading than I do writing or trading. Um, and then it breaks down into analysis, at least the type of writing I do. That wouldn't be the case for, for any type of writing. But since I do nonfiction analytical writing for the most part, um, breaking it down into fundamentals, uh, the, the, the basic elements and seeing how they interact and create uh, more complex structures as, as they go on is basically the, the same process involved in analyzing a chart as goes into analyzing something like human behavior. Um, like for example, in the ambition handbook, I I break down decision-making into three parts, uh, awareness, emotions, and willpower. Whereas in, if you're analyzing a chart, you might break down your analysis into something like volume price and, you know, momentum, um, things like that. And then you build up from there and you can really get a, uh, understanding from the ground up to flip it. The way stock trading has influenced, uh, writing in other parts of my life is, uh, Interestingly enough, and like a, a, a kind of spiritual way, when, when you spend a lot of time studying the markets, you see this huge, huge, incredibly complex system at work with, you know, trades going in and out from all over the world and, and, and so many millions of people's thoughts coming to meet in one place to determine price and, and, and reactions in different markets. And oddly enough, it, it makes sense. It, it develops patterns. It like it almost seems to, to be alive in and of itself. And 
that to me is, is kind of godlike. It, it's like the, the patterns and, and things that make sense that you would see throughout your life or throughout society. Um, those sort of invisible governing rules. Um, so, so trading for, for me is actually a very spiritual exercise because I, I call it looking at the face of God. It's a, it, it's wonderful to, to see things play out that you can't really explain, but that are somehow comforting because they seem to guide everything. I really, really love that from the first part where you spoke about breaking everything down to its components, which is a very scientific approach to later on taking on a more spiritual perspective that there is a big thing that has a life of its own and that you can flow and woo way and trust the process and know that things will be handled, managed, end up in the way that they're supposed to be. Do you have any stories in your life where there were moments of despair, where your limited human mind thought there is no way out of this, but something happened that opened a new door or saved you from such circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like in some ways, like <laughs> every part of life is uh, defined by that sort of like uh, the limitations of awareness and not understanding that what seems bad right now um, is likely to be good for you in the future. And I, I've witnessed that really over and over again. Um, I think I mean, there's literally no aspect of life that you can't point to. I think of like maybe some traumatic experiences when I was young and how they informed my uh, ability to connect with people and, and things like that. And just really sort of appreciate uh, suffering and human frailty and, and look at people differently. I don't think um, I can really, you know, we all have our regrets, right? And in my limited human awareness, I would say there's lots of things in my life I would change. But I think if given a, a larger vision, that that wouldn't be the case because whenever I sit down and I'm like deeply afraid of something happening or, or saddened about it, you know, years down the road, it's always revealed to me uh, how it was for the best and how things couldn't have played out uh, the way that I'm happy they did if it wasn't for that. You spoke about this larger and bigger awareness. How can someone develop it so that they see the bigger picture and don't get lost looking at the trees and aren't aware of the forest, which is like you said, it will be a lot more comforting, a lot less stressful, as well as understanding that it's not 1000% up to us, but there are forces that are stronger and that there are benevolent and it's much better than we expect. Yeah, I don't know that there's a way to develop it so much as it is to wait for it. Um, I think I think it's more about patience because the, the truth is, is like as as sophisticated a, of a predictive machine as the human mind is, it's still very limited. You know, it's like it can do something amazing. But I mean, we're still working with it, you know, basically non-existent fraction of existence. I mean, there's so, 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 so much. I mean, just in the confines of my home the things i'll never be aware of going on much less in my city or state or country or world um you know working beyond my awareness so i think really you know you're not going to be able to to do it in any sort of predictive way i think it's it's more of just waiting and then in retrospect you can see the dots connecting um there's a, a quote from the Tao Te Ching, which i'm probably going to butcher right now but it's something like do you have a 
the patients until the, the mud has been separated into sand and water. Um, and, and that for me is, is a very important quote because th- that's usually how it feels, you know, like when there's real chaos in your life and things aren't going your way, it, it really feels muddy. Um, and, and I think over time you get that clarity. I like that. It's, you know, there is another quote that I remember that sometimes you think things are falling apart in your life, but they're just falling into place. And I want to relate this to writing. How is writing a process that is muddy, that ends up in the end with clear separation between the sand and the water? That's a fantastic question. Um, I remember when I finished writing my first book, I mean, I guess I can call it finished. Um, it'll never really be done, but it was done enough to uh, publish um, that I felt that, wow, everyone should really write a book because it, it really is an act of faith, I guess, maybe because of the, the size of the composition, but you have no idea where it's going to end up when you start. And I feel like if you sit down, you know, there's any book starts with, you know, its first word and its first chapter. And um, at that point, I don't think you can envision a full book. Um, and, I, and I imagine it's a different process for different types of writers, but uh, I think it would play out basically the same way, even if it was like fiction or, or whatever else, that you, you cannot see the end. You set out and you know you're, you want to write a book, but what the final product will be is going to be completely different from what you imagined. And the, the path that takes you there is going to, to be completely different. You know, you don't have, the whole thing before you you write and then you gain insights from what you wrote or from new experiences that you're uh, currently going through and things like that so it, it very much fits into that scheme of like not not knowing what's coming next but but really trying to humble yourself and be patient and just sort of accept it as it comes but that's you know it's really spiritual and it's really an understanding of the chaos of life the expansion and contraction as the buddhists will call it but how can you at the same time have certainty about any technical analysis when it comes to stock trading if uh, that what you're saying insinuates to a quote that i remember which is that it's almost impossible to predict anything especially the future so how can someone reconcile both the feeling that we're within this big, huge system and our awareness is just shedding lights on a few minuscule parts of it without the bigger awareness and believing that there is a way to know what will happen next. What are your thoughts about this? Well, I think, uh, you know, all, all predictive aspects go back to like pattern recognition, right? So it's like it's happened this set amount of ways before. And so it's likely to reproduce that. Um, within that, it only works within probabilities. Uh, there are no certainties, I don't think, in life uh, or in the stock market. I, I like to to call it lines in the sand because you develop an analysis and then I, I almost feel like if, if you do it right, it is pretty much, you know, it's, it's always correct in the moment, but then things can change. So it's not that you did it wrong if it ends up being invalidated, but it's that the market is a shifting system. Um, and I think life is kind of like that, right? Like, you know, we, we talked about uh, you and, and, and your harrowing escape from, from Ukraine. And, you know, did you have the wrong plans because things became upset 
you know, afterwards and maybe that you can't go through with them currently in the same way. Like, no, but if things had stayed the same, then I'm sure it would have carried on very well. You know, you're, you're an intelligent man. So I, I think that that's how it works is that you have your pattern, but it's not, it's, it's not infallible. It, it's, it's prone to change. So I think within shifting elements, you can make predictions, but they're only ever probabilities. Um, and, and that's, you know, for the market and for life. Thank you. I really love what you're saying. And I want to relate it even further because it's really interesting. My contention is that the most interesting people I ever meet are those who failed again and again and again and don't feel all powerful, all in control and understand that life, like you said, is probabilistic and often we should, like the reasonable and logical thing to do is to trust the process, to enjoy the process because outcomes are more of a miracle rather than a set in stone thing. While some people who either were born in the right place at the right time to the right parents or they got a winning streak that when they were young and therefore they believe they can do everything and it's all up to them and they're infallible become much more shallow because they didn't build those deep roots that come from pain and reflection and suffering. What are your thoughts about this? Did you notice this? Did you experience it in your life? Or do you have another perspective? No, yeah, I would totally agree with you. And uh, thematically, I think in my connections with other people, that has been a very important constant. Uh, I actually wrote uh, one of the essays in Flower Garden. It's called The Profundity of Sadness. Um, and it was about that. And, and I noticed that a lot, like there's almost a a lack of awareness that comes from not having experienced, uh, some sort of tragedy in life, which is kind of odd to say, but there's a superficiality that accompanies that. And, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, I do think that, um, sadness is inherently a reflective emotion i think um i mean i think it's designed i think the reason we have uh, sadness as a reaction built into us is to be retrospective to help us learn from our mistakes and you know anyone who's ever experienced sadness understands that it's very pensive um i I consider it almost ghost-like it's like you're stepping back from the world and you really seem to be in your mind um and and just and disconnected and i think that gives some perspective i think also it teaches you about yourself because because you feel very weak. Um, you, you feel pessimistic. It it makes everything seem a little bit less real for a time because it puts the shade over the world. Um, so so I think that might be part of the reason. And then I think um, just in the, the basic workings of the brain, like you know you have the HPA access and uh, the sadness and 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 fear and things like that are very much uh, connected. And in uh, in my opinion anxiety is really an important quality for a person to have. I think uh, basically anyone who pays attention to detail in their lives and is highly considerate of other people and things like that is going to be anxious. I think uh, anxiety draws you to be um, pretty constantly self-reflective, to be very like wary of your behavior and its impacts. And, you know, of course, anxiety is, is you know, has a lot of negatives. It's uh, very uncomfortable and, and can uh, be very much limiting. But I think in, in other ways, I think most, you know, really kind people, people who are really working hard and driving society, I think they get there 
uh, through anxiety. So I think these emotions that we characterize as negative are actually very positive factors in our society. And just as an individual, I, I find it difficult to connect to people who seem to have not been uh, plunged into into the darkness there for some period of their life or another. I love that. And let's think about what is to you the right way to approach life based on this, that, well, if we're not a sociopath or a psychopath, we will feel emotions, that as long as we realize that life is, has, is a lot more random than we expect, therefore anxiety is natural, is it to take all the risks and to say yes to everything and to realize there is no safety or security, only opportunity as that quote? Or is it to try to analyze the way that charts are analyzed to see trends of success and to try to follow them? Or to think, okay, those people had their way of succeeding, but there were factors outside of their control that contributed I am on my journey and the best way is to face the unknown bravely and to dare greatly? Or what is to you the right perspective, the right approach to live a full life that maximizes our chances of having the right life that we want? I think it's it's probably a mixture of those things. I mean, I'm no sage, but uh, I think Aristotle probably hit the nail on the head however many thousands of years ago when, you know, he talked about moderation. Um, I think, cause you know, people talk about it in, in extremes, I think, right? Like leave your comfort zone, like get out there. And, and I feel like, you know, why necessarily leave your comfort zone? Like, you know, maybe you'll, you'll make money or something like that, but I feel like really the only justification of existence, you know, as an individual who's just been like, who just showed up here and wasn't really given a solid guidebook and is trying to make my best of like being on a marble, marble, uh, rolling around in space is like, you know, to enjoy things, to appreciate beauty, to, to learn, to, to experience happiness and other profound, uh, things that happen, you know, and that come before the mind's eye. And I feel like at the end of the day, optimizing for that is important. And I think pushing our way a little bit outside of our natural inclinations is important. I think, looking at what we lack and trying to compensate for that in whatever way, you know, like if you're too risk averse, then yeah, force yourself out a little bit. I know a lot of people that are overly, uh, you know, okay with the risk uh, and probably they should try and restrict their behavior a little bit and inhibit it. So I think uh, most of life is, is, is about walking the line, even if that means deviating from the line although that's like sort of a confusing way to characterize it but you know if, if you live a life that's a little bit too moderate then i think moderation in that sense means to be immoderate sometimes and uh and vice versa i really like this and i like your contributions to reminding people or instructing people on self-development and everything deep down do you believe that people already have all the answers inside them and your role is to remind them of this or unbury it? Or is it that really people are born more of a blank slate? We don't have a, a user's manual to life or the brain. And some people discovered some trends or some patterns. And it's uh, your role or our role. You said you're not a guru, but you know, as a writer in this space, 
to actually tell them what others have already figured out. So are you telling them something they didn't know or letting them like remember something that was uh, within them all along the way? Yeah, I'm not sure there's much new uh, to be said. And at the same time, I feel like good advice uh, doesn't get you very far if it's not able to resonate deeply. And I feel like that means that you were already ready for it at the moment. I mean, Lord knows that I've heard really good advice uh, at points in my life when I was younger. And then, you know, years later is when it sunk in. Um, so I think I had to ripen some to appreciate it. But I, I, I think we're born a mess, frankly. I think, uh, you know, I think some people... I think the people that aren't born a mess are born boring. So, you know, it's problematic one way or another. And I think the problem is that we're very much guided by it against our will. So we end up in situations that we don't want to be in and we don't see the internal workings that led us there. So my approach to, to personal development has been just to find those things, um, to really find, I think, excesses and try and help people moderate them. Um, and and the, I think the the reason that I was uh, the right person to write it was not because I'm so good at doing that, but because I was so bad at it um, that I had to approach it very uh, intentionally and systematically. So you know whether or not um, a book can can help us with that, I, I've wondered. But I think uh, the, the first step, I, I think it's it's by degrees. I think you know you're handed um, this sort of mental structure that is you as a person and. It wasn't designed, I don't think, to fit into the context that we exist in today. So, I mean, for example, I think the emotions are an almost entirely outmoded system. I think uh, with the exception of maybe happiness, uh, like fear, sadness, and anger, there's actually a chapter about this in the Ambition Handbook. I think those are outdated. I don't think they ever really serve us um, in a modern context, except for the lessons we can draw from them, which would like from fear be like risk aversion or from anger. to occasionally put aside an aversion to contention and to, and to push forward and from sadness to be uh, retrospective um, because they, they dull our minds. They're very like uh, sort of blunt responses. Uh, they, they just, you know, give us this like impulse, you know, like for example, uh, I want to do more public speaking, but if I go to get on a stage right now, I'm going to be covered in sweat. My heart's going to be beating in my ears. I'm going to hardly be able to get words out. Right. And as sophisticated a, a biological machine that, that the human being is right that that response doesn't make any sense in this context um and i think you can really see how haphazard our design is um you know by evolution that it was you know it, it fit our context but taken into a different context and you know we're a fish out of water and i think modern society is a very different context for a lot of people i mean there's a lot of people who would have done very well in nature or even um you know earlier times in history that today are are really suffering. Um, so my goal in that was just to help people bring awareness to it and, and to do marginal changes where they can, you, you can change. Uh, I don't think you're ever going to wake up a completely different person, but I think, uh, around the edges and through habit formation and, um, by applying proper like techniques for self-control that, that you can actually, uh, make movement towards reining in wherever your uh, excesses and insufficiencies are. Thank you. And this is really, I love your introspective attitude, the way that you think deeply. Every book that you've written 
Does it come from personal passion and interest that you wanted to realize something about yourself, to figure out something for yourself, to affect yourself and help yourself first? Or is it more about realizing there is something missing in this world and you wanted to contribute to change in that? Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, in the in the concluding uh, remarks in the Ambition Handbook, I, I talk about that uh, a lot of people probably write books to help others, but I can't claim such a selfless intent. Um, and really, the, the way the book got inspired and the way it started was I uh, hit 25 years old, and I had always been like this big dreamer ever since I was young. I was always telling people, I remember when I was 12 years old, and my dad was uh, chastising me for getting bad grades. And I was like, what are you worried about? I'm going to be successful. Um, so once I got into adulthood and things just weren't magically appearing, I, I really had like, a, I guess, a quarter life crisis um, there. And I kind of freaked out and I set to set out to figure out, you know, what was wrong with me? What was wrong with my personality that was holding me back? And literally, I wasn't trying to write a book. I was just like the way I, I process things and figure things out is, is through writing. So I put it in my notepad and then I set about answering it. Uh, and I worked it down to first principles and started building up from there and assessing my personality. Um, it was there that I saw that, wow, I could build this into a book. And then I started looking at everyone else around me um, and studying their personalities and what was holding them back. And I tried to answer every sort of restrictive quality or, or come up with a way to overcome every and, and identify every sort of restrictive quality in the personalities of the individuals in my life and, and maybe in afar that I was seeing. So it, it really did start with just me trying to keep my head above water, but uh, I think it then developed and, and, and I got a sense of purpose and importance for it by seeing that, you know, oh, my friend keeps making this same mistake. Like, doesn't he understand that like, it's not going to come to fruition in a year. He has to apply like three to five years um, before that skill set really develops and before uh, the progress accumulates or things like that. Or, you know, seeing somebody else who was uh, suffering from constant impulsivity um, or, or a lack of confidence, what have you. you know, there's a whole variety of things. Um, and I think that helped uh, flesh it out. Now, now that's the ambition handbook. Um, in Flower Garden, it was more, I guess you could say observational. It's, it's less of a practical approach. Um, and in that, I've just always been a, a student of human behavior. And so I wanted to make like little scenes of like things that I feel like are important, but go unobserved, like little aspects of happiness or love or bias or, or belief that, um, that maybe we don't appreciate. And, and I wanted to make them pretty. So the idea of like flower garden is, is, is that to me that, that you're walking through a flower garden and, you know, if you do that, you're, you're learning in a sense, right? You're seeing new plants and, 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 and forms of life and you're learning and you're appreciating beauty. And that was what I wanted to do myself and then be able to pass on to others. Thank you. And I love that you're mentioning pass on to others. And even before that, I was thinking that you spoke about your friend who is overestimating what's possible within a year. I remember another quote that human beings grossly overestimate what they can achieve in one year, but severely underestimate what they can do in five. So in five years, you can do things that you think need a generation to <laughs> complete. But our plans for one year, we overburden ourselves with too much work and burnout and things like that. While if we paced ourselves, 
Kaizen and the 1% accumulation and compounding growth will totally be radical. Martin, if people want to learn more about you, to read your writing, to discover more about your books, what are the best avenues for them to do that? And I'll make sure to write some of the links in the description. Yeah, so uh, my website, uh, martinvidal.co, is basically the hub for all of that. I'm pretty active on Medium, but you can get there from from the website. And other than that, uh, I have my Medium and I have my books. And I keep it pretty simple. I put some stuff on Instagram, but it's mostly uh, excerpts from from other work because it's not a it's not a long form platform. Um, so yeah, just my website and Medium. Thank you. It was truly enriching this conversation. And it was a privilege to have you here. I wish you a wonderful day. And thank you again. Thank you so much. Privilege to be here and a, and a wonderful day to you too.